to them that they stay in touch with their fans. They're just like us. They just enjoy being themselves. You have found the, the rabbit, rabbit trail. trail. All right, yeah. so I am super psyched about this. And yeah. first all, first all, first all, that's a, that's a real. Dude, what about, what about, um, Whenever you're like, it's oh, what did you say? You said something sure like, "Oh, it's, it's when I tried to say super important." Or like, that's what I was trying to say, but I knew yeah. it was wrong. Yeah, and then I was like, "It's super important." <laughs> Wait, no, but it was something. I don't know. I, I was know. trying Go to ahead. basically say that there's these these Native Americans were putting so much emphasis, uh, but I was trying to say like they were putting so much. They put a lot of important. Im that's what it important, was. Important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I know you're excited about getting into this. I, know, I was derailed. More and diving deeper. I'm going to derail you again because we got to pay a little bit of a respect. We got to do a little respect. Okay. Can we first just have a moment of respect for the school supplies legend who passed away uh, last week? Huh? You probably don't even, and that's the thing that sucks, man. The world doesn't even know about this guy. His name is E. Bryant Crutchfield. He passed away last week at the age of 85. Mm. Well, you and I and all of our best friends here on the rabbit trail mm -hmm. would know him best by inventing the Trapper Keeper. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It's, yeah. it's funny you said this because last week I was in Walmart. I never go to Walmart, but I was in Walmart and I happened to like look over and there it was. Like my exact trapper keeper that that yeah. I had like in elementary school with the exact same, uh, you know, sort of laser 80s grid mm -hmm. pattern mm -hmm. and like splatter paint, like the exact same thing. So I think it's, I guess they're just like sort of. Yeah, they came back like around last year, I that's think. That's so cool. Which is awesome. But I like that they're, but, they're uh, literally using the exact yeah, same graphics. Same thing. Yeah, I love yeah. it, dude. And like even last year, I was like, I mean, should I just get one for myself? Or? Mm -hmm. I questioned it too. So who knows? I still, I still may. That might be my new dungeon master Ooh. notebook. Who knows? That's cool. Yeah, I like that. All right, dude. Let's dive into this. Okay, so thing. first off, thanks again to our best friends. Uh, thanks for joining us for our very first episode of the Rabbit Trail. We're happy to have mm -hmm. you. Uh, a couple things, uh, housekeeping wise. The show's going to be a little looser. It's going to be a little less organized, a little more rambling on my part, which I know you're already saying, how is that possible? But it will be possible. It's a little, it, it, it's, it's a little later at night, <laughs> folks. We're getting a little looser. Yeah. We're enjoying the, 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 the evening. Yeah, think, think of like 
Art Bell and that like midnight in the desert mm-hmm. and like, you know, you're up late at night, you're driving and there's nobody else on the road and the only company you have are Woody. Is an eagle flying by. <laughs> Well, insert eagle sound here. Well, the only, the only company you have are the voices of Woody and myself coming through that hmm. crackly radio. Mm-hmm. So anyway... All that being said, I'm so happy to sort of jump into this story that um, this is a story. I mean, honestly, God it was kind dang of. Dang it, Woody. No, sorry, but listen, honestly, it was like kind of besides prey and stuff and all the synchronicity that led up to it, this is really actually the reason we were going to do a Thunderbird episode. Literally. Anyway, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, this is. Now, let me just ask you this. God. Were you going to say that? No, that's why I interrupted you. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, um, th- yeah, this is this is a topic that's like, it's. I, I would say that I maybe. It's funny. I just mentioned Art Bell because I feel like maybe, I possibly may heard may have first heard about it from Art Bell. Um, I don't think, I don't think it would have been like on TV, but I remember the first time hearing it. Um, I immediately. Uh, like a, a picture immediately came to mind and I immediately knew, wow, I've, I've seen this picture. I've seen this picture. And what I'm talking about is this sort of famed, the missing Thunderbird photo or the, uh, you know, we're going to get into it. And it's, it's sort of related to a newspaper article. Um, and it's referred to there as like the tombstone Thunderbird, which is pretty cool. I, I kind of have some theories and I think they may be possibly separate, uh, but anyway, the, the idea is that that there's this, this, uh, and I'm sort of giving you a thirty thousand foot view. But there's this this missing uh, Thunderbird photo that, um, like, all these researchers have claimed to see it, and there's some sort of back and forth on like where they believe they saw it as kids. You know, some say in the '60s, some say before. Uh, there's several other ones where the these researchers are, are claiming that that it was already missing by the year, you know, 1965 or 1966. So it's this weird kind of story that I don't know that will. Number one, I don't think it'll ever be solved, and number two, I it's just it's very. How do I explain this? It's very like it's such a fascinating topic, but like you never really feel fulfilled (laughs) by the time we get to the end of it. So this is uh, in August of 2022, by the way, if you're you're in the time machine and you're listening back. Let me start off by this article, which oddly enough is from (laughs) themothman.fandom.com. But it has a, I'm sort of pulling from a lot of different sites, Uh, but this is a... Quick question, sorry. Are you going to give me, because I haven't, like only you this is one of those things again that i kind of just like saved myself from spoiling Mm -hmm. so in other words i know nothing about this so are you giving me like like what i understand that the photo is missing yeah 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 i'm I'm about that's what i'm about to get into but you're you're going to talk about like the origin of the photo when it was taken yes okay cool um so anyway so this is from the mothman.fandom.com as maybe sort of silly as that sounds to some people um it's it's a really good sort of overview of of what this whole sort of mythology is about. So it says, there's a story that on April 
that in April 26, 1890, two cowboys in Arizona killed a giant bird-like creature with an enormous wingspan. It was said to have had smooth skin, featherless wings like a bat, and a face that resembled an alligator. This description has some similarity to that of a prehistoric pterodactyl, an animal whose existence was known at the time. They are supposed to have dragged the carcass back to town where it was pinned with wings outstretched across the entire length of a barn. Dude, we got to make a... That's it. We're making a movie about this. I mean, it's like, what a cool movie, dude. Oh, dude, absolutely, man. Um, Go ahead, sir. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is like, I do remember once I was sort of into it, I guess it would have been sort of mid-2000s, within like the, I don't know, sort of Fortiana community. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I remember they talked about it on the show, this old podcast called The Paracast. Uh, Actually, I think it's still around, but, you know, they only would interview your nuts and bolts guys, your boots on the ground researchers, you know, your Stanton Friedman's, your, uh, you know, Mark A. Bell's, those kind of guys. And so... Mm -hmm. This was something that was sort of like known about, but I, I would say that like the sort of beyond that, like the public, this is something that like not many people are going to know about, which, you know, it does kind of suck, but hey, lucky you for being on the Patreon. You could hear about it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the, the picture of this event has been, may have been published in the, in the local newspaper, the Tombstone Epitaph. There's also an account of this story with the events taking place in the state of Texas. In the May 1963 issue of Saga magazine, writer Jack Pearl recounted the story of the Tombstone Thunderbird, along with some large bird sightings of the early 60s. Not only did he tell the story, though, he went one step further and claimed that the Tombstone Epitaph had, in 1886, published a photograph of a huge bird nailed to a wall. The newspaper said that it has been shot by two prospectors and hauled into town by wagon. Lined up in front of the bird were six grown men with their arms outstretched, Fingertip to fingertip, the creature was measured to be about 36 feet from wingtip to wingtip. Uh, Yeah, which is just that alone is like pretty, pretty fascinating. Uh, While this is a different variation of the story and size of the creature, it seems to be referring to the same incident, possibly. Was this nothing more than a mythic legend of the West or was there something to the story after all? In the September 1963 issue of Fate Magazine, a correspondent to the magazine named H.M. Cranmer, which, by the way, uh, I'll kind of get into him in a little bit, but I mentioned him on the the regular feed episode. Mm-hmm. He's he was sort of a, a champion for the Thunderbird, uh, and he was the guy that was that was seeing all these these. Uh, I think he he saw it four or five times in all, but it was in Pennsylvania, you know, and he he's sort of known as being the guy that first coined the term Thunderbird when referring to like, you know, sightings of like your quote unquote, like modern sightings of these birds, like giant birds. Right. So before, you know, before he, he sort of applied that term Thunderbird to, to seeing these giant birds or pterodactyls or whatever, up until that point, it was only in the, you know, sort of the public zeitgeist as like Native American lore, which is what we went pretty heavy in on, you know, the regular episode. Right. But anyway, yeah, he was sort of a champion about this and he would write in these articles to Fate Magazine, possibly back in the 50s, but for sure in the 60s. 
and then he eventually became like a correspondent to the magazine. Uh, he would state that not only was the story true, but the photo was published and had appeared in newspapers all over America. Cranmer would not be the only one who remembered the photo. Eminent researcher Ivan T. Sanderson, he's the guy who created the term cryptozoology. He was an expeditionist. He was an explorer. He, you know, graduated from Cambridge. He was from, uh, from uh, you know, the UK. He was this, you know, amazing, like, boots-on-the-ground researcher. He wrote all these books that, you know, they had nothing to do with, like, cryptozoology. That It would be, you know, mammals. He wrote books like Mammals of North America. And, like, he, although he did write a book, one of the first books on um, the belief of the abominable snowman. So that's mm. pretty cool. Eminent researcher Ivan T. Sanderson also remembered seeing the photo and, in fact, even claimed to have once had a photostat of it that he loaned to two associates who lost it. The editors of Fate even came back to believe, uh, or even came to believe that they may have published the photo in an earlier issue of the magazine, but a search through back issues failed to reveal that. The original epitaph story about the capture of a large, unusual winged creature was indeed printed on April 26, 1890, but it mentions no photograph. The epitaph story was revived in a 1969 issue of Old West, further confusing the issue as to whether the photo was real or not. Uh, so it starts to get a little like murky whenever there's like these sort of retellings, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And from what I can gather, and again, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements with this that feel a little blurry where, you know, some people remember, um, all these sort of cowboys, you know, outstretched hands standing in front of it, nailed up to a barn. Others remember them sort of holding it. Others remember them not being cowboys, but like prospectors. So a while after that, a guy by the name of Horace Bell first reminded everybody of the story in his 1930 book on the Old West Coast uh, with, the re with his reprint of the epitaph story, which again was slightly different to the original. Right. In that, Bell never mentioned a photograph, nor did he claim that one existence. But it wasn't until 1963, 33 years after Bell's book and 73 years after the ranchers supposedly killed the big bird, that the notion of a photograph was advanced by a writer named Jack Pearl in Saga magazine. Uh, so that would be the first, it being brought up it, publicly that there was a photo, even though all these other people had talked about it sort of underground for years. Um, he not only claimed there was a photograph of the creature, he declared it had been published in the Tombstone Epitaph in 1886. This is fascinating too. So Cranmer, like he would say in Fate Magazine in the fall of 63, that the picture had been published in newspapers all over the country, like I said. And then Ivan T. Sanderson, like I said, you know, he did, he claimed that he had like a photo stat, but then he, I, I believe the story is he loaned it to, I think, some people say that he loaned it to H.M. Cranmer, but other people say it was two other random folks. There's also this idea that, like, whoever he, he loaned it to ended up dying in a house fire. Therefore, like, that photostat, photostat copy of the, the picture would have burned up with it, mm. which is kind of crazy. But, yeah, so there's, like, these, all of these, like, different sort of people kind of talking about this photo. What's interesting is... This And I'm going back to the mothman.fandom.com article. Uh, the epitaph, however, stated that the photo did not exist, or if it did, had not been in their newspaper. Responding to numerous inquiries, employees of the paper started a thorough search of back issues and files. 
they could find no such photo, and even an extended search of other Arizona and California newspapers of the period produced no results. A number of articles that appeared in pursuit, in pursuit, the Journal for the Society for the Investigation of the Jesus, <laughs> the Journal for the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained, prompted a memory from W. Ritchie Benedict, who recalled seeing Ivan T. Sanderson himself. This is fascinating. Display a copy of the photo on a Canadian television show, The Pierre Benton Show. Unfortunately, mm. though, oddly enough. There were only 28 episodes of this Pierre Benton show. Take a wild guess at which one of these, which one of, out of all 28, is missing. The one about the Thunderbird. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Jeez, yeah. man. Uh, during the 1990s, the search for the Thunderbird photo reached a point of obsession for those interested in the topic. A discussion of the matter stretched over several issues of Mark Chorvinsky's Strange Magazine, and readers believed that they had seen the photos, cited sources that ranged from old books to Western photograph collections, men's magazines, National Geographic, and beyond. People combed through literally hundreds of issues, hundreds of issues of dusty <laughs> copies of True and Saga to find nothing more than the previously mentioned article by Jack Pearl. In the late 90s, Mothman Prophecies author John Keel, big fan here at the show, insist insisted that I know I saw it. And not only that, um, I compared notes with a lot of other people who saw it. Keel believes that he saw it in one of the men's magazines like Saga or True that were so popular in the 60s. Most of these magazines dealt with amazing subject matter like Bigfoot, Ghost, and more. Keel also remembers the photo in the same way that most do, with men wearing cowboy clothing and the bird looking like a pterodactyl or some prehistoric winged creature. John Keel even said specifically that the creature did not look like a vulture with a hooked beak. As Sanders... Sanderson's explanation had. So that's a pretty interesting kind of thing, mm -hmm. too. Keel said it had a long and pointed beak like a pteranodon uh, that is quoted in such books as Synchronicity, because you just got this book, Jerome Clark's Unexplained. Well, I have the unidentified, but yeah. Oh, I thought you had the unexplained one. Mm -mm. Man, I'm going to have to get that. I didn't realize that it was even in there. So I guess, like, one of the focuses today that we're going to be talking about is is really about this Mark Chorvinsky article. Like I said, you know, he he died at the age of 51 from cancer, but during his later life, he would go on to start Strange Magazine, and he only produced 23 magazines, or 23 issues, sadly. Issue 21 was where this article was featured, and I was just telling you before the show, this sucks, because like, man, I would love to have the physical copy, but that actually ended up being the, the first digital edition, you know, so there wasn't a physical yeah. edition, which sucks. But he was kind of a guy, uh, he was a big fan and disciple of Charles Fort, was, he had like local newspaper editors and then like sort of correspondence all over like internationally, because originally I think he had written for Fate magazine and that was, that's sort of, for all, all you that don't know, there's there were these magazines in the 50s and 60s and, and on up. You know, eventually they kind of became more like sci-fi magazines. But in the early days, they were like Fate magazine, I think, like Amazing Tales or Adventures or something. Mm -hmm. um, all these sort of like, they the, those would be the places that you would find stories of the Abominable Snowman and Tom Slick or, mm. 
you know, stuff like this, this, this kind of crazy stuff, like, oh, there's a, a sighting of a 22 foot penguin, uh, you know, on the co- off yeah. the coast of Florida. And like these really obscure things that, that Charles Fort, which is a, a genius and amazing guy that kind of started all this stuff that we're into. That's like what he was into. I mean, it's sort of like a, um, uh, what's, what's the museum that you can go to? It's not, Bar- it's not PT Barnum, but it's, it's the other guy. The, you know what I'm talking about? You uh-huh. you would go and it would have like the shrunken heads or it'd have like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, what is that? Yeah, know. it's like a Ripley's. Ripley's or not yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's kind of that like, like you know, it is kind of like that, like P.T. Barnum and like the, the Fiji mermaid and these just sort of crazy like things that now we, you know, we kind of call it high strangeness. But he was this guy who was he claimed that he was an open-minded skeptic and I think a lot of people that rubbed the wrong way and but the thing that I do like about him as as much as I personally can't stand uh just debunkers you know the the guy and we've talked about it numerous times but the guys who right out of the gate before they hear anything it's it's already debunked you know there's no research going into it there's no thought it's like well this is what it takes for my mind to believe that it's fake. So it must be this, this, this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, and he wasn't that. He was, he would really, really go after like the research, you know, boots on the ground. He would fly. I, I think in doing just this article, and again, like Strange Magazine was like, I mean, I guess it was kind of big in this, uh, in sort of the Fortean community, but it was still, you know, the office was like, uh, you know, out of his house and as like, you know, wildly praised as a magazine, like it was, you know, it was kind of known for being like sleek and sharp and like everything looking great. There being zero typos and like, it was just well done, you know? And the way that I kind of view this Torvinsky guys, he seems like, he seems pretty OCD in the sense that like, oh, everything has to be kind of perfect. So the interesting thing is the the editor, and this would have been uh, 
you know, I guess late 90s, Chorvinsky flew down to the University of Arizona. And there it said that he basically went into the, uh, I don't know, some sort of research department and deputized these college kids to say, hey, this is what we're looking for. I'm getting absolutely nothing from the actual paper because he reached out to the editor or the t- basically the top two guys. I guess one would have been like the archivist. The other was the editor of like the modern day tombstone epitaph. And the the editor would say, oh, I've combed through every back issue. I've looked and da, da, da. This story does not exist. Not hmm. this photo doesn't exist, but this story doesn't even exist. And he just, he, he just like, just kept repeating, kept repeating it. And then, you know, I guess like after he was kind of tired of, you you know, kind of dealing with it, he was like, oh, well, I think so-and-so, the archivist, I think maybe he had a copy of it. And then so, okay, well, let's let's go to this guy. And then this guy says, no, you're going to have to go back and ask the editor. He's the, he's the only person who would really know of it. And I think I remember him talking about it. So it was this kind of like, telephone game back and forth trying to put the blame on somebody else but all in all they the whole point of this was basically to say that it didn't exist and he again this is what makes him a cool researcher is he he just kept pushing kept pushing and you know he went to the university of arizona deputized all these kids to like hey i need you guys to get into it boots on the ground and like find this and so him and all these college kids um, and again, this was, you know, this was pre-internet. This was, you couldn't just go to magazine.com and find any article. Like you physically had to go to these towns and find like, whether it be on microfiche or like archives, um, you physically kind of had to do it, you know, um, which I kind of miss, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do and I don't. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it makes it pretty awesome to be able to like. Mm-hmm. you know, research some stuff. The problem nowadays, though, is that you can, quote-unquote, research stuff online. You're going to find, I mean, anybody, like, there's no real barrier of entry. Right, right. So, like, you got all kinds of kooky people saying all kinds of crazy stuff that... Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, anybody can say, well, no, man, I found it right here. And it's like, okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even, there's a guy by the name of Daniel Cohen, and... For, like, go ahead. Sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, like, is this, uh, like, a situation where this is maybe like a Mandela effect type scenario where a lot of people remember seeing this? Yeah, well, so I'm going to get there. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Because that's sort of where it where it gets to sort of in the modern age. I'm just kind of giving, like, a, a background on, like, how, you know, originally it was, like, this article – but some people remembered the article, some people didn't, but pretty much everyone remembered the photo. And then the photo being, you know, some people believing it being in those like fate magazines or, and, and like I'll get into here soon, you know, other people believe that they, they, they would see it in the, these uh, like men's magazines, like Mail or like Argosy, sort of like your, I don't know, maybe like GQ or, mm. or like men's journal or whatever yeah i don't i don't get those movies well i mean it's just funny man like early 50s and 60s and 70s men's magazines were either you know cool stuff like this or you know naked lady we had maxim 
Yeah, oh, Maxim, that's a perfect one. You know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like they didn't, they didn't say, they didn't talk about anything cool like this. Right. It was just like, yeah, uh, this week on Baywatch. <laughs> Although a lot of those old magazines would have, you know, they would have all this stuff, and then there would be like, you know, a, a whole like couple pages of like some new star Hollywood starlet in like. Now let me ask you a quick question before you get into all the starlets. Okay. Are you sure that it was the September 1963 issue that um, Cardamon or whatever his name is? What's his name? Wait, what? The guy that wrote in uh, 1963, I think he said September 1963 issue of Fate magazine. Yes, that that H.M. Cranmer wrote. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, so. Because I just bought it on eBay. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I think, and again, like... I, a lot of this stuff is so old that it's like hard to get a clear picture, which kind of like what we were just talking about. It's like, I kind of like that in the sense of like, I like that you kind of have to dig and it makes you, I don't know, you you kind of start feeling like a, an actual researcher, you know, mm-hmm. instead of just the guy who gets like the first Google hit, you know? Right. Um, and I mean, a bonus, a bonus here, just judging by the picture of the, of this issue of uh, the magazine that I just ordered I'm probably going to end up with some sort of like respiratory uh, issue <laughs> a lot here of just because all kinds of like just stuff mm. on it, man. Mm. But uh, we'll see. So I remember if I did see it and, I, and I'm, I'm okay with admitting that maybe, maybe there's a possibility that I didn't see this, but it 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 is such a like the second that i remember hearing about it i immediately could see it i immediately you mean you could picture it in i your could mind. picture it in my mind i immediately knew like this this was definitely from cuz like my grandpa or grandmother they didn't have they wouldn't have had like old magazines and stuff uh they would have had like but but like i've said in other episodes i was always the kid who was every time i was going to the library i was checking out anything I could find on Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, UFOs. And there were a ton of those kind of books. But, you know, oddly enough, like most of those books were like from the 50s, from the 60s. So I feel like I remember seeing it in there. And what's uh, one of the interesting things about that is there have been several people who have claimed to see it in, actually, did we mention this on the episode? The Mysteries of the Unexplained book. Uh, no. Um, the so Woody's borrowed a book called Mysteries of the Unexplained. It's like this big book, and it's awesome. It talks about everything. It's just a bunch of like bizarre sort of high strangeness accounts. Well, I think it was put out by like Reader's Digest back in right. the eighties. Yes, right? yeah. Well, I think actually seventies. The the first Go edition. Ahead. So the interesting thing is there's been like, you know, I think the one that you have is like the eighth printing. Um, but a lot of people have said that the first printing is where they remember seeing this set. The problem is, is like the first printing of that book is pretty hard to find because it was like very, very short, small print run, but then it kind of gained popularity, I guess, sort of posthumously and it was reprinted later, which is like the one you have. Uh, but a lot of people believe that they saw it in there. And so uh, I feel like I would have seen it somewhere in the library because I, when I was a kid, I lived at the library, whether I was at school. I mean, most days when my mom worked at the bank, I would get off school. And again, this just shows like how amazing life was in the 80s. But I would literally 
walk with a bunch of other kids like on the sidewalk from the school to the the town library and then I would hang out until it would close and then my mom would come and pick me up um like I have such nostalgic vivid memories of of reading like Harriet the Spy or, or first reading The Hobbit in like early elementary school years on the front steps of the library um so I feel like it would have had to been in one of like the... that would have been like the source of your... 100%, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what's weird is it almost makes me want to go back and just look... See if they still, see if they still have it on the shelf. I mean, maybe. Like, I, I, I wouldn't know, like, what book it would be from, but I feel like if I saw some of those books that, that I would have read as a kid, like, I don't know, maybe it would yeah. spark something. It would, like, trigger, yeah, trigger maybe, a memory. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but anyway, even even the guy, this guy named Daniel Cohen, who wrote a lot of those early books, he wrote a book called Myths of the Space Age, another book, you may remember, Monsters, Giants, and Little Men from Mars. He would go on to say in a book that, well, two separate times. And what's weird is like, even right around the time of Mark Chorvinsky writing this article, he would come, he would have come out with a book claiming it's all it's all BS. It's all made up. You know, people claim that that there's this this photo, and you know that that's completely impossible, and it doesn't exist. Yada yada yada. Which is kind of a bummer, and it kind of sucks, especially being a guy like like that. You know, who has a lot of influence in the community. He, well, exactly, this specific community. Right? Very well, well, very well said. Yeah, very well, well. So anyway, so. After all this research, Mark Torvinsky finally discovers the actual article. And I'm going to mm. read the article here from beginning to end. So you're in luck. Uh, this is from the Tombstone Epitaph, Tombstone, Arizona, April 26th. Pause, 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 pause. So the dude that was skeptical about it ended up being the one that found no, the no, no, actual. No, 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 no. I, I was just making the, the connection of a guy that wrote a lot of those early books that we would have read. Okay. Uh, wrote in two of his books, um, you know, again, that would have, that were in public school libraries. I got you. I got you. Uh, where he was just uh, kind of, okay, now, he was kind of a skeptic and kind of a dick actually. This, this guy that did find the actual article. Yeah. This, before you start reading the article from the tombstone epitaph, mm -hmm. Like, how did he, did, do you got any details of how did he find it? Where did he find it? Well, so, so again, this is that Mark Trevinsky guy, the strange magazine dude, yeah. who, who, with the help uh, and deputizing uh, the University of Arizona, which, I mean, it's, uh, it's all connected. Dude, hold on now. What? University of Arizona. Mayday mystery. Mayday mystery. Did you already say that earlier? Mm. Was I zoned out? I, I did say University of Arizona. But, I mean, I don't know, just this time it hit me. Yeah. The Mayday Mystery, man. The, this, like, potential secret society of intellectuals. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and it's, what's interesting, too, is I wonder if, like, the second that I, because that's the first thing that I thought of. I was like, oh, man, Mayday Mystery. And there was another one, too, that we covered where I remember us making the connection of, like, oh, well, this, that's weird. That's also at Arizona University. Mm -hmm. Like, there was another story that we covered, but I can't remember what the... Yeah, best friends, if you know what you're what we're talking about and you can kind of trace back to whatever that episode was, yes. boy, we would just love it. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, so, so, yeah, so, like I said, he flew 
uh, down to Arizona and had all these kids in like, I guess the research department, uh, you know, aid him in trying to find this. Uh, and so he did find it, I guess, by going through like all these like archives and stuff. And I think they found it in less than a week, which is funny because you're, you know, our, our big editor and the paper archivist claim that they've, oh, we've looked for years. We've scoured yeah. the internet or we've scoured. Dude, just imagine, just imagine this old guy who gets this job, right? Mm-hmm. As the, as the head of the magazine or head of the newspaper or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like this old dude and the phone is ringing off the hook right. with people being like, hey, man, do you guys have this article? It's like about this mysterious bird. And he's just like, oh, it's, you know it's what I mean? probably much like uh, me. Like, uh, I don't think I've even said this on the show. So, again, tangents galore over here on mm-hmm. the rabbit trail, but uh, which is why it's called the rabbit trail. Mm-hmm. But... There's a local antique store in our area, the one that's by my house, you know, that we went to. Um, yeah. It's amazing, but there's this little section, and there they have a comic book spinner rack from the 50s or 60s. It's exactly like the one that I used to see at a place called Cleveland Drug, where I would go mm-hmm. and eat breakfast with my mom when I was a little kid, and she would smoke cigarettes while eating breakfast inside because we lived in the 80s. And I would would like literally live beside this spinner rack in Cleveland Drug, and I happened to see this spinner rack. I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago at this this store that's like, you know, less than an, well, maybe a mile from my house. Yeah. Um, I fought to get the guy's number. The owner of the store is sort of a consignment type place like they have like the Mm -hmm. antique little booths yeah there's like different booths and and that kind of thing which is kind of cool but also kind of annoying um for the longest time the guy would not give he's just sort of a weird dude but he wouldn't give me the owner of that particular booth's contact information he was just like yeah people have have been asking forever for that and he's just not going to sell it i was like well can i you know can i at least Get some make an offer. Yeah. Can yeah. I just get, can I just talk to the guy, you know, maybe see where he got it? Da, da, da. And so the dude was just a total d- and he, he wouldn't even give that to me. Well, I happened to go in one day and there was this other woman there behind the desk. She was amazing. She gave me his, his info and everything. Since then, I have called this guy uh, probably about six times every few months just to be like, hi, Richard. It's me, Tyler, again, calling about that, that uh, you know, spinner rack. Right. Um, it's just, like, amazing. And, I, like, he now it's to the point where he won't call me back. It's pretty frustrating. So all your thoughts and prayers are appreciated out there. Uh, if you want to say a prayer tonight, uh, that Richard from Prime Pickens, <laughs> that's the place, that's the name <laughs> of the place, uh, that he will call me and and tell me that he's willing to sell the spinner act. Anyway, mm-hmm. all that to say, uh, what Richard is dealing with with me is probably what the Tombstone Epitaph editor was dealing with on a daily basis from all these folks calling in trying to find stuff on the Tombstone Thunder. For sure, yeah. So anyway, so here goes. Article is called Found in the Desert, a strange winged monster discovered and killed on the Huacha Desert. 
a winged monster, which by the way, this is an amazing account because, well, you'll see. Just, just the, like the details of this, like they're really pretty fascinating. A winged monster resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings was found on the desert between the Whetstone and the Huacha Mountains last Sunday by two ranchers who when who were returning home from the Huachas. The creature was evidently greatly exhausted by a long flight and when discovered was able to fly but a short distance at a time. After the first shock of wild amazement had passed, the two men who were on horseback and armed with Winchester, with, with, with Winchester rifles regained a sufficient courage to pursue the monster and after an exciting chase of several miles succeeding succeeded in getting near to open fire with their rifles and wounding it. The creature then turned on the men, but owing, owing to its exhausted condition, they were able to keep out of its way, and after a few well-directed shots, the monster partly rolled over and remained motionless. The men cautiously approached, their horses snorting with terror, and found that the creature was dead. They then proceeded to make an examination and found that it measure, measured about 92 feet in length, and the greatest diameter was about 50 inches. The body had only two feet, these being situated a short distance in front of where the wings were joined to the body. By the way, the reading this is a little difficult because, oh my God. Here we go. Jesus. I had to watch Dune on full volume because it has like these like whisper parts and then it's like. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's written in 1890. So it's like a little, a little difficult. I'm having to kind of fix it as I'm going. Uh, The head, as near as they could judge, was about eight feet long. Eight feet long. The jaws being thickly set with strong, sharp teeth. Its eyes were as large as a dinner plate and protruded about halfway from the head. They had some difficulty in measuring the wings as they were partly folded under the body, but finally got one straightened out sufficiently to get a measurement of 78 feet making the total Jeez. length from tip to tip about 160 feet. The wings were composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane and were devoid of feathers or hair, as was the entire body. The skin of the body was comparatively smooth and easily penetrated by a bullet. The men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. See, it's just that. it's that. They'd, and they cut off a small piece of the wing and just ate it right there. <laughs> no, but it's, it's like the Roswell memory metal yeah. story where it's like it's like what's happening to these little little keepsakes you know it's like i mean just imagine like some you know i believe they're still family, out family some family is just like passed it down mm. generation after generation well it's like it's you know i think i mentioned it before but it's like the the memory metal that was found i think it was jesse marcel junior no maybe senior found it from the Roswell crash, took it home and showed them on the table, put a lighter up to it, it wouldn't burn, you know, smashed it up and then let it go and it came back out and folded and completely flattened back out. So there's like this old urban legend, kind of like this urban legend, where they believe that I guess some of it was left possibly and the mom remembers sweeping it off the back porch. Well, since then, um, they've like poured cement over that area and you know i guess the house was sold later and like they built like a deck over or wherever but it's mm-hmm. just that idea that like what if somebody got a metal detector down in there and 
would it be hidden in the in the concrete, you know? Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. Mm. But anyway, the men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. Late last night, one of them arrived in this city for supplies and to make necessary preparations to skin the creature. When the hide will be sent east for examination by the eminent scientist of the day. The finder returned early this morning, accompanied by several prominent men who will endeavor to bring the strange creature to this city before it is mutilated. So I find that really interesting. And I, and, a co- and, and so this, he's, this guy is saying that, that this is the article from the epitaph. Oh, it, won't, it is the, I mean, I can, I, I'll send it to you. It's like, Old news. It's the actual tokens. article. Yeah. Wow. And by the way, boy, it is like like four pixel font size and like just like story, 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 story. Like there's like boy, they <laughs> they really they just had to fit it in. Well, it came out like once a year, you know. Well, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, I don't even know if that's true, but I mean like it it probably wasn't like a daily paper, right? Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, maybe monthly, maybe? I don't know. I mean, hell, that's, I mean, to be honest with you, that's part of the reason why I think modern news is, I mean, like like sometimes the headlines just like blow my mind. Now, f- full disclosure, I don't even watch the news mm-hmm. um, at all anymore, but I just laugh at the headlines sometimes. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. um, girl stripper Oh yeah, dips uh, chicken wings into her. I saw that. What? <laughs> yeah. My God, man. Yeah, that's. I mean, interesting nonetheless. But like, how does that because even... it's a twenty-four hour news cycle, man? Sh- like that yeah. makes it onto the thing. You're right. But we're giving you gold here. <laughs> we sure are. Friends. Um, wh- a couple things about the actual article that immediately sort of piqued my interest. Uh, well, one thing in per- well, a couple things about the, the visuals of it. I like the idea that. You're doing well, well. <laughs> okay. I know on the Thunderbird episode over on the main feed, I was, I think I was sort of making, um, making the point of saying that like a lot of these more modern cases are where you see like the pteranodon or the pterosaur or pterodactyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then these older ones, which could possibly still be tied to, you know, your, your sort of bird you know, if you will, mm-hmm. giant feathered, giant, yeah, feathers and that whole kind of deal. Um, but I gotta kind of take that back because, again, this was in 1890, and you know, I, I, them talking. Well, a couple things. Like number one, it clearly has a pterodactyl type head, which eight feet long. Hmm. I mean, eyes as big as a dinner plate that protruded halfway out of its head. That's crazy. I mean, I'm willing to bet that. Potentially, back in the 1800s, their dinner plates were a little bit smaller than our uh, modern ones, Mm -hmm. our modern portions. Like, speaking of that real quick, just because we're going down the rabbit trail, I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I don't eat a whole lot of fast food, but it's like when you order a small and and it's like what used to be the large, it's like, uh, boy. Dude, talk about, like, pizzas nowadays. disgusting, dude. Oh, well, pizzas are shrinking. That's what I'm talking about. the size of the Coke is getting bigger somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, because th- that's what, you know, it's just like... Un- Less people standing in line for refills, I guess? I guess so. I don't know. Gross. I think they could use the exercise probably, though. Yeah, here we go. Um, no, I, I like that, that it has like such... I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like for the 1890s, for them to talk about 
the, the wings were composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane and were devoid of feathers or hair, as was the entire body. The skin of the body was completely or was comparatively smooth and easily penetrated by a bullet. So it's like there's no mixing words. This was 100% like a pterodactyl. If yeah. we're taking the story as, as being true to begin yeah. with. But then like having like this giant like sort of long sort of beak, but then also having like sharp teeth, mm. that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that is that is the thing because I mean like But where would they have come up with this? I mean, you know I mean, maybe they're just out there in the desert trying to trying to find the spirit horse, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, maybe it was like a peyote trip. They're just pulling out like like beef jerky. They're like, This is the tip of its wing. <laughs> this is the wing. <laughs> No, but I, I love that. The but the main thing out of this whole article, and I don't know if if this is something that you picked up on, was, and it's something that we've talked and I th- I don't think we. I don't know if anybody else heard that like sort of backhanded insult, but go ahead, man. I'm listening. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying like <laughs> like even this is another topic that that kind of falls under the radar of of like sort of public knowledge, I guess if you will, uh, and it's just this idea that like. All these early, you know, forever ago excavations, uh, people finding remains of, of giants in like the Midwest. There's the most famous one I would say is like this 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 uh, story or urban legend of these people that went on this sort of excavation of the Grand Canyon, and they ended up coming across this like sort of really obscured entrance to this cave or maybe they had to like pull some rocks away or something they ended up getting in there and it's like all completely covered in like like what look at the time and then again this would have been in like the late 1800s but was this basically egyptian petroglyphs all Mm. over the walls there was a ton of gold uh and then there was there were these like huge sort of uh, sarcophagi or, or sort of these caskets of what they claimed were remains of these giants. And, and this is where now? Uh, this was like, it's it's like the Grand Canyon mm, giants. Okay. I'm, I'm sure it'll come up. But um, but anyway, they, I, they ran it in like several of the local papers at the time. And then as the story goes, the Smithsonian came out like it does on a lot of these things, especially mm-hmm. way back when, uh, oh, we're gonna we're gonna take this with us and have it tested. We're gonna take this with us and and check it out, and we'll get back with you. The people mm-hmm. never hear back from the Smithsonian. They never retrieve the thing that they found, and then when they press the Smithsonian on it, they just sort of say, "Oh, I don't know. I guess it was lost," and it's. Mm. It's weird because if you know the Smithsonian, you know that they probably have a pretty good cataloging system, you know, Mm -hmm. considering all the things that they have. And so with this article, you know, reading when they say, will be sent east for examination by the eminent scientist of the day, that would have been the Smithsonian. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know, I don't think the Smithsonian was, was around back then. Did a little research. The Smithsonian Institute was created August tenth, eighteen forty six. Wow! So this could have possibly been the exact same team yeah. that came and took away all those giant bones out of mm-hmm. the Grand Canyon. What's interesting to me though about that kind of stuff is like, well, what's their why? Like, aren't they? 
Like, why would they hide giant bones? Uh, well, there's a lot of different reasons, and this could kind of get heavy, but it ties into God. It's like a whole other thing, but it kind of it kind of could possibly tie into the Rockefeller Initiative uh, that happened in the I think the 20s, maybe. Well, that was like the official thing, but they they sort of rewrote the entire sort of education system for everywhere in the world, basically. But mm-hmm. before that, like the, I know the Rockefellers were tied into to the Smithsonian. I know that, you know, what we look at as now is like your like elites. They were basically the people that would be behind this. And a lot mm-hmm. of people say that those people are, you know, they claim that they're still connected, which I believe there's probably some truth to that, to the Jesuits, which links back to the Catholic Church and the Vatican. It gets like real heavy, but it's this idea that like, oh, well, no, we can't have giants because that that could go against like any sort of like religious teachings of the time or like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that could, maybe that could spark something that would make them question the faith and we can't have that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same thing as how the U.S. has claimed for years and years that like, oh, well, we could never tell the public about UFOs because it would just be mass hysteria and they couldn't handle it and, mm-hmm. and it would go against the the Christian faith and yada yada yada. So there's a lot yeah. of sort of ties with that. But but like man, once you once you really start looking, I mean, there's so many things that like, you know, you, you will read these articles and yeah, we even had people from the Smithsonian coming out. And then it's like that would be the Well, and also I mean you wonder Especially back in the 1800s, I mean, think about like, uh, can I have some identification, sir? Uh, sir? Mm-hmm. And you just like, yeah, man, I'm from the Smithsonian. Here's a crumpled. I mean, dude, I, I think about this all the time when I'm watching these like westerns and stuff. When they're like, yeah, man, we're looking for this guy. Oh yeah, right. And they have like this crappy drawing <laughs> of somebody with a mustache. And you're like, good g. Like, I mean, they could have just picked the wrong guy, and that's it. Right. You know, they got their bounty. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like the. Uh, it's like the. I just imma- I immediately went to the the Dwight, you know, Dwight, like the police sketch. Yeah, this Scranton Strangler. Yeah, and like it, then yeah. it shows him like looking in the mirror and like Jim's drawn like the little <laughs> mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, but yeah, so. So uh, anyways, sorry. I said that to say it would be easy for there to be like a different organization that just says, yeah, man, we're the, we're from the Smithsonian. Yes. Or like, yeah, we're from the Science Institute. Yes, but... Or whatever. But like, once you start looking into a lot of the, these sort of other stories that have a little more information, you it starts involving like telegraphs coming directly from the Smithsonian and like, like records of like, oh, no, 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 the Smithsonian was clearly coming out there. Mm-hmm. And then, then, see, then the trail just goes completely cold. But the problem I have with it, like, especially now still being part of the, well, it was the, quote-unquote, the church that was stifling it. I believe that that could definitely be a possibility back then because at the time Mm -hmm. it was one of the largest sort of Christian organizations on the planet, you know? Oh, yeah. And so there's a lot of control, a lot of money and stuff there, and I I get that. But, like, nowadays it's like, and you know, it would make them more money. It would be more financially, like, impactful if they were like, well, guess what, guys? We've been able to test all this. We've got giants. Come and see them. Admission. Yeah, but... One million dollars. Yeah, but that doesn't, like... it To me, like... To me, there's more money in them basically putting together an organization that's, you know, under the 
the guise of an institute. So it's, oh, it's legitimate. And we have scientists and we have archaeologists and we have like the top minds of the field. I mean, even the way that they said it in the paper, you know, it's like the, the like top people that are coming out from the, from out East, uh, you know, to, to study it and, and, and all that. It's like, in my opinion, what if the whole thing was put together just to end up taking these things? Cause they knew that people were, were probably, like you said, watching the old Westerns. I mean, they knew the people yeah. probably, it was a lot easier to sort of like impress people by your your title. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same as much as like you know we were more naive like even back in like the sixties and seventies to like the government. It's like no no the government can never mm-hmm. do anything wrong. Like mm-hmm. you know, but like a lot of those things, like for example, like the Montauk Project and like the. Uh, you know, whatever the Philadelphia experience, like all these things, you can trace it back to their like the purpose, right? And so, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what would be the purpose of an organization keeping bones? Because unless there's like some crazy magical properties, well, I or I do believe that, and we're getting weird here, but I do. Like in other words, you grind it up. No, no, no. You I put it in your coffee. I believe it's better than Alpha Brain. Six to midnight. I believe, to me, it makes it. It's very logical because, number one, they have like funding, unlimited funding. So if, yeah. if they hear or see like a, a, a telegram or something from like somebody in Peru who, you know, finds like an elongated skull, you know, mm-hmm. which I just listened to a podcast and this archaeologist was talking about. He was talking about this very thing, and you know, again, this is a guy that's like very prominent in the field of archaeology and. That's what he's done for, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever. And he was saying the same thing that like, especially in from those early days up into like maybe the mid to late 80s, anywhere that that anybody would find anything, you know, whether it's like, well, we found these ruins at uh, Chichen Itza and they look Egyptian. It doesn't make any sense. Every single time the Smithsonian would be there and... Mm then, like I said, they would just sort of like disappear. And what's interesting is like, apparently there was this, this, and I, I, I meant to like look more into all this stuff, but there was this, apparently like the Peruvian government like fought back and were like, because I guess they came like in the 60s or maybe early 70s, they came because they, they started excavating all these like elongated mm-hmm. skulls, which... Now, like, here's another thing, real quick. If you're talking about binding, buy, I'm not. That's I'm not talking about. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nothing to do with the actual schools or whatever. My my point is like, I I 100 understand that they would have the means and they would have the ability mm-hmm. and that they have you know more than likely done that to a lot of excavation sites. But let's just say, for example, if there was no. Um, ulterior motive mm-hmm. and it was just really they're trying to preserve or even just like keep like for example so they reached out to my grandfather to get some like roman era coins that he found um when he worked in africa did they keep them well he gave them some yeah, yeah. And, and so like they yeah no well they have them you know for 
display at the Smithsonian, right? Yeah, because that doesn't so threaten go in there, any sort of like... Yeah, but what, what I'm saying is what does the giant bones threaten in 2022? No, 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 I'm not saying in 2022, but I'm saying... Well, no, I get it for back then. I'm saying, though, like I'm, if they have access to that because stuff... Because it's, it's the same way that the government still will not admit the stuff that was found at Roswell. It's the same reason that, like, they still won't... Because to then, like, if, if suddenly they came out and said hey, actually, we did find giant bones in Grand Canyon. That makes them look like the most nef nefarious organization from mm -hmm. all the way back to 1846. Yeah. And, like, every – and, again, there's all these, like, accounts. But what I was saying is, like, in the 70s, like, they came in and because they were the, quote, unquote, Smithsonian, they could do anything. They were – we have the top minds in, like, late 60s, mm -hmm. early 70s. Um, and I can't remember the, the the site, but they were finding like tons and tons of of these elongated skulls, which if you look at them, it literally looks like an alien gray. Mm. Small, tiny little bodies, kind of what you start seeing in some of the, even some of the Egyptian stuff. Um, but anyway, apparently they were like, oh, well, we're, we're going to take these back for testing. And I th as far as I know, it's the only, it's the only place like, on the globe where the government was like, you're not taking this, this is ours. Mm -hmm. And so as of now, you, you cannot find elongated skulls other than you going directly to Peru and you can see them in their museums. Hmm. But everywhere else, there's all these things. It's like they magically disappear because it's associated with, with the Smithsonian. And again, I don't, I don't claim to know like the, all the exact motives. I mean, hell, for all we know, the whole thing was started, because even now you look at it and it's like they're still receiving just sort of random grants and, and donations from like billionaires. So for all we know, it's just this thing that was created by, you know, the ruling class, the elite, and it's just a collection for them to have like all this stuff. weird stuff that, oh, well, yeah. we're not going to... Don't even mention that to the common people. Kind of like this guy that was trying to sell body parts on uh, what Facebook Marketplace or something got arrested. What happened? Oh, yeah, dude. Just some, hey, man, if you ever get, you know, Hard up. squirrely, just start Googling crazy stuff that happens in Florida. Oh, Boy. yeah. Yeah, well. Jesus, dude. This guy was selling human body parts that he stole. Wow. On Facebook Marketplace. Here's the shocker. People were actually buying. Oh, no. So there you go. Ugh. That's weird. I mean, there's some weirdos out there. Hey, man, speaking of Egyptians, real quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't going to get into it because then we're going to open up a whole new oh, yeah. thing. But, I mean, here's what's crazy about the Egyptians as it relates to the Thunderbird, man. Of course, they had You're this, derailing this um, whole conversation, aren't you? You're right. You're right. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, there, there was an Egyptian god who was, um, I think, the queen to Isis. I, or no, wait, the was queen to Osiris. Maybe it was Yeah, Isis. it was Osiris because she had like the wings. The wings, yeah. dude. Yeah, that's fascinating. And like, was in charge of like their their weather. And she would like bring with her, quote unquote, every spring, the spring weather. Dude. Yeah. That was her flying over. And she had like the curved. Whoop. Ooh, now we're talking. She sounds hot. <laughs> she, had, <laughs> she had really great curves, but she also had a curved mm -hmm. beak. It actually kind of, what's weird is like I didn't even think about this, but it it does have a similar look to the the native one that you would see on like totem poles, mm -hmm. like that's sort of just the head, like the profile, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. So anyway, so let's get back to it. So they, you know, Mark Chorvinsky, this guy just went 
balls to the wall to find it. And he finally found this article. Well, then I guess it was sort of like, okay, well, we found the article, but it doesn't mention that, you know, there's a photo. And, uh, and honestly, in looking at this, the newspaper article, like the official one, I don't know where they would, I don't even know that if at that time they would have uh, like room to even print like a photo. Right. But just because, dude, it is so slam packed, like, like no spacing. It's just like, it's like classified ads of stories, just one after the other. Boom, 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 boom. But, but anyway, so, you know, he, he kind of fought to get these and he got it. Here's where I'm going to pick up on that strange magazine article. Uh, this is in section two, which is called the Fortean Mysteries, the Fortean Mystery of Mysteries Inter Keel. This is really cool. It says the Thunderbird photo holds a special fascination for many Forteans and has recently been described by veter- veteran uh, Fortean Robert Durant as the Fortean Mystery of Mysteries. The photo is currently little known outside of a small Fortean community. I have interviewed dozens of people who are absolutely certain that they saw this Thunderbird photograph, but there is no sign of the photo anywhere. Close friends of mine swear that they saw the photo, which people recall seeing variously in books, magazines, newspapers, and on television. Certainly such an unusual image would have been published repeatedly, particularly in Fortean publications. Every week I follow a new lead or continue working on an old one, but I feel no closer in finding the Thunderbird photograph. This is one of my most unusual cases, and I specialize in the unusual. The key figures in the T-Bird case, which that's funny, I just put T-Bird as our, my name, <laughs> are some of the most prominent figures in Fortean history, including Ivan T. Sanderson, remember he coined cryptozoology, John A. Keel, you may know him from the Mothman Prophecies, mm-hmm. uh, and Vincent H. Gaddis, who was another like researcher who wrote, wrote a ton of, you know, on the trail of the Yeti and and that kind of stuff. I first read the T-Bird photo on a 1972 issue of Ivan T. Sanderson's journal, Pursuit. There were several references to the photograph over the next two decades, mostly in Daniel Cohen's books on monsters uh, and John A. Keel's Strange Creatures from Time and Space, which, man, that what a great title. Strange Creatures from Time and Space. Yeah, Analysis of the text demonstrates that Sanderson's reference was clearly the source for these later mentions. We will return to Sanderson's 72 discussion of the, the photograph in the second part of this article. So it's an interkeel. Then in the early 1980s, which uh, if you're in the this sort of uh, secret club, like what do you have and, and I are in, you 100% know who John Keel is. He is he's the reason that we know about Mothman, uh, which I would say is maybe one of the, if not the greatest cryptids, or stories that we, you know, that we have. But it says, Then in the early 1980s, the Thunderbird photograph came up in conversation with John Keel, who suggested that I investigate the case. We discussed the photograph in an interview in Strange Magazine number 5. I asked Keel if he thought that there was a Thunderbird photograph or not. His response, absolutely. I know I saw it, and not only that, I compared notes with a lot of other people who also saw it. It wasn't just me and Ivan T. Sanderson. It was a lot of people, and we all saw this photograph, yet nobody can locate it. Mm. It was either in one of the tabloids or one of the men's magazines in those days. We checked everything we could think of. I could almost make a drawing of it. I can, I can remember all the details. The thing was sort of nailed to a barn 
or hanging from a barn or something. And these men, a large group of men, were standing in front of it. They were all very rustic looking like real farmers. And one guy had on a top hat and they referred to him in the caption as a college professor. But he was probably just another cowboy. I think that's funny. Um, the creature that was nailed up looked like a pterodactyl or something. It had an enormous wingspan. I would say it was like the 1880s or something. The guys were all wearing cowboy boots and cowboy hats, and they were all kind of scrungy, like they had been, been out riding the range. There was a ramp in front of the barn, and the people in the photo were standing on it. Having a ramp going up into the barn is a common feature in barns. I can't remember exactly how many men there were, but there may have been five, there may have been 15. I suppose everybody in the, in the neighborhood got on in it got in on it. Mm. The photograph has always bugged me though. At the time when you see a photograph like that, and it must have been in a magazine, you assume that a lot of people have copies of the photograph and that it's not going to be a problem if you ever need it again. Mm -hmm. Then you find out that no one can remember where it was. Ivan and I really did a search for it and everybody remembered the damn thing. Since we couldn't find it in any of the standard magazines, it may have been in a tabloid type publication of that period and they would be very hard to locate now. There was the Tattler, Midnight, and other imitations of the National Enquirer. It's not something that I read about. It's something I saw. Maybe one of the Thunderbird books in the 50s had a photo in it. In a later interview of the 14 Times, Keel described the photograph and I guess kind of changed some of what he said. Like he he said he didn't mention like the ramp. And, you know, so there's, I guess, I guess if you're leaning to a more sort of skeptical side. People point to that as, as evidence yeah, well, they maybe he's just making it up. They point to like that, you know, memory is fallible. And I mean, it definitely is. Mm. But this is, and again, just another little little refresher here. This is this photograph that all of these people in this field remember seeing. And these are giants in the field that, that we're in now. Yeah. And they all remember it, but they don't really quite remember where this is pre-internet. This is pre you seeing something like this on TV. This is this is like something that would be very sort of not rare, I guess is the right word, but you would you would find it in one of like these kind of magazines that that mm. and and again, like that's the thing too. I don't know if I said this, but all of these magazines were were all like mail order. So you know, if you find they weren't they weren't flipped, you weren't at the supermarket flipping through the pages and being like, oh, yeah. I mean, so it's like less common, right? Yes. That, uh, yeah. I mean, later, and I wonder you, too, like you would. I think about all these guys. It's kind of like when we're talking about the Duffer Brothers and stuff. Like, it's no wonder that we love their stuff so much because we are we've got the exact same. We like, are sort those of guys. Yeah. Bucket of influences and right, stuff. Exactly. That we watched the same things. We listened to the same mm -hmm. things we were interested in the same things. And so like when you see those moments play out on screen, it's super cool. But like, I think same thing here with like John Keel and all these people mm -hmm. when they were growing up right. or when they were younger, they had the same sort of like interests, although, you know, separately. Mm -hmm. And then kind of all remember seeing this photo yeah, in those, in those magazines and stuff, which is just, yeah. I mean, that, that part to me is like, it makes it a, actually, to be honest with you, it makes it a little less sort of like, oh, well, maybe they're just remembering wrong because... Yeah, that's the thing. If, if it was like a mass public sort of thing where everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, kind of like, um, well, with a lot of the Mandela Effect type stuff mm -hmm. where so many of us remember seeing X, Y, and Z for, you know, for some reason it being like a smaller sort of sample size... Mm -hmm. And even more sort of obscure. Um, obscure. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's that makes it more like, oh, you remember that too, dude? Yeah. Yes, I knew it. I mean, imagine that moment. Yeah, dude. exactly. It, it's uh, it's so cool. It's like if the Mandela effect happened with this very niche mm -hmm. concept and it was only within the field of, you know, people that would go on to be experts of these fields. Mm. Which is interesting, dude. Like Jacques Vallée talked about seeing it even. Mm. I mean... I wonder, like, think about all the other things, not necessarily like this, but in certain fields mm -hmm. that kind of got mandela man. Oh, absolutely. That we don't know about, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Or they got smithsonian <sighs> Come on. So this is really cool, too. And this is, this is one of my favorite things because... And there's a train going by. But uh, once you start getting into this, you, you have all these like little blurbs from people who, you know, at the time were maybe like a columnist for this magazine, but then would go on to be like a preeminent author on like the book covering the topic. So it says the publication of this interview in Strange Magazine number five brought in many letters and phone calls from people who had seen the Thunderbird photograph. So again, this is a mail order thing. If you, mm -hmm. if you were into this stuff, you wouldn't find it on TV. You wouldn't find it at the newsstand. You had to specifically order it. It was kind of like the people who were into Bigfoot and aliens and UFOs in the 90s. Where could we see it? Well, I mean, pre-X-Files, you had to, li yeah, you yeah, had to listen to, to Art Bell. Yeah. Um, but it says it brought in tons of letters and phone calls from people who had seen the Thunderbird photograph. Investigator and author Mark Opsasnik, who is well known to our readers, is one such person. I've been associated with Mark for over 15 years. I've never known him to confabulate, and his memory is sharp. Mark still clearly recalls seeing this photograph. And again, this is the guy who is so sort of like unbiased uh, mm -hmm. as a journalist, you know, the Mark Chorvinsky guy that, that's written this article. As much as he was obsessed with John Keel and as much of a big fan as he was. I mean, John Keel's the, the guy who urged this guy to even write this article to begin with. And, but he was so unbiased that even, even he mentioned that, well, you know, even with Keel, you know, there, there has been like a couple things that have changed over the years when he's talking about this. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that he says that about Keel, but then he knows this, this Mark Obsassinate guy personally and says his memory is sharp and I've never known him to, you know, make up things. And so he says, quote, while visiting Arcturus Book Service in Albany, New York in May of 1986, already, that's awesome, I was leafing yeah. through a number of old magazines in a box on one of the shelves when I saw the infamous Thunderbird photo. I distinctly recall mm. the creature was either pinned up or being held up against the barn by what appeared to be a group of cowboy-type individuals. However, not having an interest in Thunderbirds, I failed to make note of the publication or any of the pertinent data. At the time, I didn't realize that it was a controversial topic since Bigfoot was my main interest in. However, later descriptions of that photograph seemed to confirm that I did see the legendary Thunderbird photograph. In a later follow-up interview with Mark, he went into further detail, telling me that the photo took up an entire two pages and that it was black and white, tinted blue. He also recalls that the magazine possibly had a title like Mail, like M-A-L-E, it's like a mm. men's magazine, Another correspondent, Peter Johnson of Boulder. Kind of on the nose there, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peter Johnson of Boulder, Colorado, recalled the photograph vividly as well. He was another correspondent for Strange Magazine, or Fate Magazine, rather. When I was about 9 or 10 years old, 1966 or so, a group of us would ride our bikes to our local fire station and read their adult magazines in the firehouse men's room. 
Well, which it's like, boy, what a what a way to spend your summer, you know? Yeah. Oh, Firehouse yeah, yeah. bathroom. Uh, while yeah. Police Gazette was an obvious favorite, there were also copies of True, Argosy, and Saga. It was in one of those that I saw the picture of the Pteranodon nailed to a huge barn door with these bearded minor types in front. It was tinted brown or blue and was a two-page spread with white writing beginning an article or story obscuring some of it. Both Obsasnik and Johnson say the photo was tinted brown, Johnson, or blue, uh, Obsasnik, and was a two-page spread in a men's magazine. So that's interesting. They both say that. But but when Obsasnik first talked about seeing it, and he, he didn't... He only rewrote back in as a follow-up saying that he remembers it being a two-page spread. And this guy says the same thing. Yeah. How interesting is that? It is. Um, but Obsasnik remembers the creature being a as being maybe a bird, while Johnson recalls that it was a pteranodon. Keel also suggests that a men's magazine may have been the source. This is interesting, too. So it said, In 1993, Keel phoned me in response to the Obsasnik and Johnson letters that ran in Strange Number 12. He insisted that the photo would have appeared before 1966. It had to be in the 50s, he told me. I was talking to Ivan T. Sanderson about this in about 65 or 66, probably 66. When I spoke to Ivan about this then, the photo was already missing. Keel is not the only veteran Fordian who believes that the photo had been published before the mid-60s period, when so many people think that they saw it. His contention was supported by the late Fordian author, Strange Magazine contributor, Vincent H. Gaddis, who we mentioned before. In our 1994 interview, he had the following to say, you know that this is the damnedest puzzle. Yes, I remember seeing it. I don't remember where I could draw the thing for you. It was a picture of a barn, and the Thunderbird was nailed to the side of the barn, and there was a group of men standing just below it, looking up at it, and it said that it was from the Tombstone Epitaph. It was in a magazine, not a book. It was in a magazine, but I don't remember which one because there are so many magazines that I've subscribed to through the years. I just remember seeing it years and years ago, and the description of others who have seen it is pretty much the same as mine. My memory of it goes beyond saga and true before those were published. Because those, so those articles, those had like reprint articles in saga mm -hmm. and true through the years. So that's what he's talking about. My memory of it goes way back before that. I think that I saw it when I was still pretty young, and I'm 80 years old now. So it goes way back. It goes way back. That is when, that is what Keel was saying that it had to be before 64 or to 66 when so many people think that they saw it. It had to be. He thought in the 50s, it's irritating, you know, that it existed and yet none of us can find it. So man, that's fascinating, man. Yeah. Now what about, because I think there's some photos that exist now that have been deemed like yes. fake or whatever, right? And did you say whether or not the... To, uh, the tombstone epitaph, what, what you like um, eighteen whatever it was? Did they even print photos in the paper? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna. I don't know if they had that. I mean, eighteen ninety. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember. Well, if if uh, if uh, Young Guns Two taught me anything, <laughs> <laughs> it's that Billy the Kid, played by Emilio Estevez. Mm -hmm. God. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I mean. It doesn't look. Um, I'm going down. Huh? Sorry, man. I just now I got blaze of glory. I was about to say blaze of glory. Yeah, it, it's. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look like it would even have a photo. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is where you know, kind of, it, it kind of continues on. I mean, there's some like really interesting stuff where, well, and also let me let me go through this. This is like a another sort of timeline that I'm that I ran across. 
listing, which back then they referred to them as American Western dragons. Uh, so it's sort of this cultural timeline. So in the 1830s, it was first recorded in Lake Elizabeth, California. There, there was a there was this flying monster. A lot of people had these sightings. Around the 1860s, articles on the Indian Thunderbird legend are kind of you know popping up again, kind of keeping it in the public consciousness. 1868, there's a Ch- Chilean dragon that was seen throughout North America, which I've never heard of that, which we've got to check it out. It sounds cool. Uh, In 1873, there were flying dragons reported all throughout Kansas and Texas. In 1881, there were several alleged sightings of an amphibious flying monster in California. 1882, Mm. newspaper report of alleged multi-witness flying crocodile sighting in California. So, I mean, it's right in that same little area. 1883, Mm. a dog-headed Lake Elizabeth, California monster supposedly attacks cattle. Now, again, that... Lake Elizabeth mm. goes all the way back to uh, the 1830s. Another place this is kind of close to, mm. I would say in relative proximity, not directly like adjacent or anything like that, but I mean, this is an area where, I mean, Skinwalker Ranch is relatively close yeah. by in terms of, you know, window creatures and window areas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like my thing is, dude, the more I kind of think about all this stuff, like how is it all possible is there, are there that many crazy people seeing crazy things? Now, there are a lot of crazy people. Oh, yeah. Just scroll down Facebook feed sometime. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of crazy people. But, like, the only thing that kind of makes sense to me, really, is that, I don't know, man. There's there's some sort of, you know, window area, honestly. Yeah. I mean, even in, in 1891, a year later, there was another sort of, I guess, went maybe uh, like flap, if you will, uh, where all, a ton of West Coast newspapers had described a pair of flying dragons that were terrifying farmers all around Fresno. Mm. And it said that they would come down and they would bite chickens in two. Man. The papers described it as a reign of terror from July 1891 to fall of 1891. The creatures were Jeez. described as being a good 15 feet long with saucer-like eyes and mouth mouths full of teeth, which... Sounds a lot like the tombstone, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's this Dragons of Fresno. We need to check that out. It's really cool. But yeah, so I, I guess we're, where, you know, it kind of just keeps going. It keeps going. To me, I think that there's a few things happening. I think that, and again, I'm including myself in this. I think, like I said before, memory is fallible and it's it's easy to remember something one way and it being another and then your mind maybe fills in the gaps. Like I 100% feel like when I first, the very first time I remember hearing about this, and again, I, can't, I don't even remember where it was. I, I'm thinking Art Bell. But the first time that I heard about this, it was like this image was immediately conjured in my head. Mm. And so am I, am I like all these other people just sort of like misremembering this thing? Or mm-hmm. it's curious, man. Was there something that came out? Well, see, that's the thing, though, man. It's like if you try to rationalize it with, like, oh, people... Was there something that came out that was similar, that had a picture that kind of looked like that? No. And mixing that up with that story, you know, that maybe works for something in the 50s and 60s. Like, oh, okay. But then, like, by the time it gets to you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is it combined? Well, but here's the thing, though, too. A lot of... And this is where the skeptics are, like... You know, and, and you brought this up before, 
about, well, what about like all these other photos? So here's the thing. It's like you can type in Google and you're going to find a ton of these recreations of this photo. They look really cool. They look way. amazing. There's some that are crappy, but like, well, and I do have to say this. There are several that are not known hoaxes, but they're, nobody really knows where they came from. And to me, a lot of these, or several of mm -hmm. these, actually look pretty legitimate. You know, and not only am I talking about like just the the Thunderbird with like the the miners or the cowboys. I'm talking about like there's the one that we talked about where there, there's like a guy in a museum. I think it was like maybe from 1909 or something supposedly. And you see that giant, I mean, it looks like almost like a condor, like a pointed or like a crow. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that one looks pretty legitimate. There's a couple that like look kind of real. But then as you get... As you get like closer into the modern age, especially, I mean, once we had the internet, it was like you suddenly started seeing a lot of fakes, I think. Yeah. And so as cool as it is and as much as it maybe sparks interest in people, what it's really doing is like muddying the water of like finding the real one, you know. Yeah. And so a lot of your, a lot of your spectic, I mean, spectics, a lot of your skeptics like this Daniel Cohen guy who, like I said, said in two different books, one that was like maybe in 2000 was like, this is a fake. This is a, a story that people have been coming up for years. And this is what's funny is this is he this book came out shortly before this article, which totally blew it out of the water because this guy found the actual article. Whereas the Daniel Cohen guy was like this, the article and the, not just the photo, but the article doesn't exist. Mm. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of cool. But so I guess it's like, is it, is it just like miss, you know, this like weird misremembering of things? Because I think the thing, and I'm glad you brought this up is like such a good point. I think in, in you saying it, this was such like a niche kind of thing where all of these guys that would go on to be like investigators and researchers and authors and stuff, all these guys remember this. These these aren't guys yeah. that, and these are guys that would have been subscribed to those same possibly obscure magazines, or maybe it was like mm -hmm. just men's magazines of the, of the time. But like, I just, I find it very, very hard to believe that like, you know, and it's like when people, we've we, and we say this all the time, it's like, this mass hallucination. I, I I find it very difficult to think that it was just this sort of like mass like misremembering of things. I mean, to me, it's like the first thing that I thought up uh, I thought of, and it's my favorite of all the Mandela effects is the Ed McMahon working for Publishers Clearinghouse. Mm -hmm. It's like this is something that every single person that I've asked personally about this, and I've asked a lot because this is something that isn't just sort of tied into like like pop culture that we would have been into as like kids, you know, like like G.I. Joe's or da, da 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 or whatever. It's like this is something that like I've asked friends of my grandparents. I've asked my grandmother, you know, great aunts and stuff. I've asked so many people about this and every single person, you bring up the name Ed McMahon. What did Ed McMahon do? They say, oh, he worked for Publishers Clearinghouse. He would show up with a big check, da 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 I, it's, it's impossible. To me, it would take even more convincing than not to say that like all of these random, 
people who, who aren't people that are only, again, tied into pop culture. We're talking like mass public who would have just watched commercials in the 80s. Everybody you talk to remembers this exact same thing with Ed McMahon. But mm-hmm. you look now, and he's never even had anything to do with Publishers Clearinghouse, even though mm-hmm. there's residue, and I mentioned this in the Mandela Effect episode, where he appeared on Johnny Carson, again, that like date that shows like the dating. He appeared on Johnny Carson, and as sort of like a, a bit or like a joke, they end up bringing him out a giant Publishers Clearinghouse check. Right. So, so why would they do that if, if there was n- yeah. nothing was ever known about Ed McMahon working for this paper? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not saying that I believe that this is, it has to be a Mandela effect, but I think that there could be something about it that mm-hmm. is a little, I don't know, it's a little weird. I mean, I, to me, the idea that, like, all these people are seeing it in, like, different places sort of leads me down the belief that, like, I don't necessarily know that I believe that the newspaper article is even tied to this photo that everybody remembers. Yeah. I think those two things may be two totally different things. Yep, yeah, yeah. So it's like really kind of a cool mystery of like either one, it was a real photograph that mm-hmm. everybody remembers, or two, it was a photograph that wasn't real, but everybody remembers it, and we don't know the source, but it was the same source that was well, maybe well, duplicated. No I, no, I believe that it was it – was, I'm not saying that I don't believe that it wasn't real. I believe – that it was real. I, I was saying before that, like, once you had the internet, that's when all these fakes like, came out. Yeah, the, all the fakes and and or the believable uh, fakes. You know, like I mean, oh I think yeah. to like some of the early, you know, UFO stuff and the early uh, fake, I mean, fake photo stuff. You know, where although some of that sixty stuff looked, I think it's John. It's his last name's Adamski. I think it's John Adamski, but he has like some photos that. I mean, apparently, even up until his death, he still claimed 100% real, even though all of these, you know, quote, unquote, like, like experts were like, oh, it's it's just fake. Mm-hmm. But there's some of like the coolest black and white UFO photos. I guess I guess for me, where I land is, it, I just feel like it had to be somewhere. It like I feel like and maybe even. OK, so let, let's go down this road of like hypotheticals. OK, right. let's say you it was yeah, or rabbit trail, right. Let's say that it was a 100% Mandela effect, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because there were people back in the 64 to 66 saying that it was missing already then, mm-hmm. that nobody could find it. That Ivan T. Sanderson had a photostat, loaned it to a couple friends or people that he worked with or whatever, and it burned up in a fire. So then if you believe in the Mandela effect, it makes you wonder, like, how many times does it happen? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that constantly. Yeah. I mean, here's my promise. There is some that I want to dive into maybe on the, I mean, certainly on the Patreon since we're going to be kind of expanding on some ideas here. Mm-hmm. But like some of the, what what's just as fascinating to me is like learning about the psychological mm-hmm. possibilities of things that the simple ones that are like, oh, you know, is it or isn't it a Mandela effect thing? And then showing, like, once you learn that and then Mm -hmm. seeing, like, the contrast between, like, that explanation, Mm -hmm. which is plausible and real, and, like, something that is truly, like, Mandela, it's like, you know, that's the, I want to be able to, like, define that line so that it... Well, and I I mean, I believe, I mean, you know, I guess 
I don't know, you're coming along though. I would have said originally I was more of like the true believer here, but uh, Mandela are... effect is a tough one for me, man. Oh, dude, Mandela effect is maybe the best example of weirdness in my opinion. I don't know. Um, I I just think that like there's just too like okay, say you want to like debunk it and say, well, it wasn't a Mandela effect or it wasn't uh, it it never existed, right? Well, okay, so now now back all that up. It's like how is it that all these obscure random folks were claiming to see this exact same thing all in different possibly different publications, different books, different magazines, uh, a, a photo stack copy. It appeared on a Canadian television show and out of the 28 episodes, it was that's the one episode that nobody can magically find. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this like a men in black thing? Hmm. I mean, or, you know, it's like, what's happening here? Like why? It, it's just, and this, this, is, this is what I meant by it leaves you feeling very unfulfilled in the sense that like, it's nothing's answered. Yeah. But it's also pretty cool because of that as well. Yeah, super interesting for sure. Man. You know? Hmm. I mean, what do you think? I don't know, man. I mean, it's um what's interesting is like, especially if okay, so now we know that the article truly exists. I mean, I mm-hmm. just look you can actually it's like in the Library of Congress. Yep, one hundred percent stored there. So we know that the article exists. Mm-hmm. The question becomes did the guy or person, <clears throat> hey man, it was the 1860s, did the right. guy, <laughs> did the guy like writing the article just completely make it up for like fun, you know, like some right. sort of like thought experiment and like, let's see what we can get away with. Hey, mm-hmm. Tim, we need more sales in the old tombstone. Yeah, you know? like yellow journalism. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Was this a case of sort of like a, a War of the Worlds type thing? Doubtful, but I'm just saying, right? Mm-hmm. Or... Could have been. Yeah. I mean, it could have. You know, it's hard because, like, that that's the thing. Like, I think if someone's going to be skeptical about it, if they're taking a skeptic approach and just being mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, I don't know. It, it's difficult to explain how so many people remember the exact same thing and then that thing just doesn't exist. It just, you know, vanished. Yeah. But well, like I, I said, man, I want to explore the sort of, like, psychology piece Mm -hmm. on that yeah not that i would believe that more it's just like it's very fascinating to me oh yeah well i mean to me i find if i'm leaning on the skeptical side a little more honestly i i could believe that the 1890 tombstone epitaph article is fake and it was just made up yellow journalism it was it was to try to get sales maybe Mm -hmm. the paper was down in sales and oh we gotta we gotta figure something out let's make it this this grandiose crazy story i i can believe that that was made up a lot easier than all of these other random people claiming to see this exact same photo yeah like and and again that's why i ask you this do you think that's why i think it's like a separate thing almost yeah 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 do you think it's possible that i'm just saying in terms of possibility do you think it's Mm -hmm. possibility that Whatever magazine it was, mm-hmm. staged sort of a recreation. Let's just say, let's just say that it was like a 1940s issue of one of these magazines. Okay, mm-hmm. they staged a photo talking mm-hmm. about this article because whoever's writing it was super interested in that stuff too. They staged this photo, uh-huh. then 
you know, they don't say that it was staged or maybe even they did, but as a kid reading it, you just kind of forgot, you know, because you're hiding in the dang fireman's uh, bathroom trying to look at naked pictures <laughs> and Thunderbirds. And it's like, right. ah, it's real. You know, I, I don't know. You know. I don't know. I mean, I, I do like that it said, uh, you know, two of the witnesses that, that I mentioned, two of them mention seeing whatever that that the magazine article if it was in like the magazine whatever that was they they remember seeing it from the tombstone epitaph mm-hmm. or they remember seeing that like somewhere in the article yeah you know what i mean and that's another thing that i think is important i'm gra- i'm really glad you brought that i'm glad you brought that up but it's the idea that like okay this would have been the year 2000 when mark torvinsky released this article for strange magazine Number 21. But up until that point, like I said before, all these people remembered, obviously they remembered the photo, but a lot of the people remembered, that's how they remembered even the name of the Tombstone Epitaph is from that article they remember seeing. And then that's what led Chorvinsky to go on that mad hunt to like find out if it was truly an article. So I just sort of put that together, but like, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's like a byproduct of this thing that that everybody yeah. claimed to see. Man, it's wild, so, dude. I feel like if if whatever if I did indeed see this this photo, I feel like it was probably. I don't know. It was probably in a book from like the '60s or '70s. It would have had to be or it would have had to been, but it was probably a reprint of whatever that newspaper article was, or it was taken from that, that particular photo or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even, even I'm even admitting that like whatever I saw was, was possibly probably a little more probable that even that was a reprint. But I mean, even that's, even those are, are gone. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody can find anything. Weird. Well, we're going to certainly try because I'm, I've got an, an issue of one of these magazines coming to the house now. I mean, what do you think? Because I've not got into this with you, but like all I've ever said is like, dude, this this thing is fascinating. And I hope we didn't bore you because I know it's a lot of info here today. But like, what do you think about it? Because to I, me, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Are you asking me? Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's cool as heck. I uh, even just the idea of some you know, cowboys in the 1860s shooting mm-hmm. down a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. uh, it's pretty wild, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that like all these people, again, like all these people can remember seeing it, yeah. but nobody can find the source. That's the interesting, that's probably the most interesting thing to me. Yeah. Just, I like, think that's trying even, to track down that source, you know? Well, and I, th- I think, and I think I'm, I've, uh, said this on like the main feed show is like, like to me, this, the whole missing photograph is actually far more interesting than even the, the, the story and the epitaph and, mm-hmm. and like the Thunderbird itself. There, there's just something that's like, you know, we talk about it a lot. It's like, like the Mayday mystery, like Toynbee Tiles, which I promise we're going to eventually cover, like, like those sort of pre-internet things where like you had to go dig and you had to go look in dusty old bookshops. And I mean, even the other day, like I sent it uh, a, uh, a picture to you, Woody, I was in that place that I was just talking about that had my spinner rack. 
that I will get one day. And they had like these old 50s, 60s copies of this Argosy magazine. And like, uh, I saw Fate magazine there. And it's like, I don't know, it's just that like, that tingle of like, I mean, if I spend an afternoon, could I find it in there? I know, it's the best. And that's that's the best part. That's the coolest thing out of all of this. Yeah, it's way more fun doing it that way especially with mm-hmm. the obscure mystery type stuff like oh, this, yeah. then it is kind of just like going online and reading yeah. some, you know, somebody mm-hmm. else's opinion. Well, I think that about does it, dude. I hope that I sort of conveyed all this massive amount of information in a uh, in sort of a fun way. Succinct. Succinct. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, man. I love it, dude. I... Um, Again, dude, there's like so much more to talk about the stinking Thunderbird. Like I found like all kinds all around the world in mythology and like even yeah. uh, Matt Manson is one that was, it's an extinct species of eagle that once lived in South the South Island of New Zealand called Ooh. the Hosts Eagle. And even uh-huh. then, though, I mean like the biggest, I think, wingspan was something along the lines of like maybe a little over 10 feet. But yeah. it's still fascinating. So. Oh, which, by the way, you were, well, sort of correct on the main episode when you were talking about rescuers down under with the albatross. Those things actually indeed do have massive, massive wingspans. Hey, man. Done told you. <laughs> well, I thought you were talking about, like, the, the golden eagle or whatever they were that was kind of, like, coming so, after. So, so I think what we uncovered here is I wasn't wrong. You were just wrong in what you were thinking I was talking about. Yes. Rather than listening, yes. you would rather not listen and be wrong that's fine that's my blind spot (laughs) (laughs) all right dude i gotta go i gotta get out of here too dude good night